All right, welcome to the Cabot Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cavishes Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII welcomes home USS Gerald R. Ford CVN-78 from a highly successful extended maiden deployment in defense of our nation's security. HII is proud to design, build, and support the Gerald R. Ford class carriers at Newport News Shipbuilding. Coming up, attracting and keeping officers and sailors to the U.S. Navy's surface fleet is a never-ending challenge. New Executive Director Christopher Bushnell of the Surface Navy Association is with us to talk about the challenges and promises on the eve of a career at sea. But first, a look at Naval News this week. Houthi missile attacks on shipping continued throughout the past week, both in the Southern Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, and U.S. forces with those of the United Kingdom conducted several strikes at Houthi missile launching sites in Yemen, destroying a number of missiles that, according to U.S. Central Command, were on launch rails preparing to fire. The anti-missile strikes were conducted both by aircraft and by Tomahawk cruise missiles launched from warships. Destroyer USS Gravely on January 24th shot down two anti-ship ballistic missiles over the Gulf of Aden, and on January 26th, destroyer USS Kearney downed another missile also over the Gulf of Aden. Carrier USS Theodore Roosevelt was reported by USNI News to be operating in the Western Pacific by January 21st. The carrier and her strike group made an unannounced deployment from San Diego on January 10th and 11th. Carrier Air Wing 11 is aboard the Roosevelt, and the carrier is accompanied by cruiser USS Lake Erie and destroyers USS Halsey and Daniel Inouye. TR joins the Carl Vincent Carrier Strike Group, already operating in the Western Pacific. Japan-based U.S. destroyer John Finn carried out a Taiwan Strait transit on January 24th, the first U.S. Navy surface transit since November 1st. The U.S. and partner nations maintain a roughly once-per-month pace for the transits. The last two were undertaken by U.S. Navy P-8A Poseidon maritime surveillance aircraft in early December, and before that, the Australian frigate Toowoomba in mid-November. USS Antietam CG-54 left Yokosuka for the last time January 26th to transfer to Pearl Harbor, based in Japan since February 2013. The U.S. Navy plans to decommission the Antietam during fiscal year 2024. Along with sister ship USS Shiloh's departure last September, this leaves only USS Robert M. Small's CG-62 as the Japan-based U.S. cruiser. Antietam is being replaced in four deployed Naval Forces Japan by the Arleigh Burke-class destroyer USS McCampbell, DDG-85, currently homeported at Everett, Washington. McCampbell was previously based in Japan 2007 to 2020. Several heads of Navy attended the annual Paris Naval Conference in the French capital January 25th, including U.S. Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Lisa Franchetti, Chief of the French Navy Admiral Nicolas Vaujour, United Kingdom Chief of the Naval Staff Admiral Sir Ben Key, Chief of the Italian Navy Admiral Enrico Crendanino, and the Indian Navy's Flag Officer Commanding the Eastern Naval Command Vice Admiral Rajesh Penharkar. The conference addressed multiple interoperability issues, asymmetrical threat and gray zone conflict responses, and the continuing effectiveness 
of aircraft carrier strike groups. Vladimir Putin attended the Kiel ceremony January 26th in St. Petersburg for the new nuclear-powered icebreaker Leningrad. The sixth project, 22220 Artika-class icebreaker, at more than 33,000 tons displacement, the world's largest, will be able to break ice up to 13 feet thick in winter. Russia is the world's only country to feel nuclear-powered icebreakers. A seventh project, 22220 icebreaker, is also planned. The amphibious ship USS Gunston Hall left Norfolk January 24th to take part in Exercise Steadfast Defender 2024, billed as the largest NATO exercise, quote, in decades. The exercise features the reinforcement by sea of Europe during wartime, a classic Cold War scenario. More than 90,000 personnel from more than 31 countries are taking part, according to NATO, with exercises continuing through May. For her part, Gunston Hall is expected to embark a contingent of foreign Marines during the exercise. And Marine Corps Assistant Commandant General Christopher Mahoney confirmed January 25th that the next Marine Expeditionary Unit to deploy will be equipped with the Amphibious Combat Vehicle, or ACV, the first time the new vehicles will be sent into forward operating areas. The ACVs are equipping the 15th MU, now training with the ships of the Boxer Amphibious Ready Group. Fielding of the ACV has been protracted due to several material and operating issues, including vehicles rolling over in heavy surf and a fatal accident in December when another ACV rolled over at Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton, killing one Marine and injuring 14 others. The Boxer Group, with the 15th Mew, Mahoney said, is currently planned to deploy, quote, in the early spring. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval News. All right. Uh, it is time for the discussion portion of the podcast, and we are very happy to be joined by retired Navy Captain Chris Bushnell. Chris is the new executive director of the Surface Navy Association, having taken the reins from Captain Bill Erickson uh, at the National Symposium uh, held in D.C. just a few weeks ago. Um, Chris is a lifelong surface warfare officer. I'll just read uh, some of the highlights of his storied career. Was a chief of staff for uh, Commander Carrier Strike Group 4, was Commodore of Destroyer Squadron 31, um, worked in the Joint Staff in the WMD Directorate, Chairman, Department of Seamanship and Navigation, CO of the Paul Hamilton, XO of the USS Stump. So Chris brings quite a bit of um, surface experience. And then I actually think is really cool, Chris, uh, when you transitioned from active duty to the civilian world, uh, you worked for Facebook and Meta. Um, so I think a lot of those skills, uh, those that have known you for a long time know that you were a good fit for Facebook uh, because of your uh, Navy experience, but also now coming back to the Navy in, in, in a little bit of a way as the executive director, you bring some great skills uh, from the private sector. So welcome to the Cavaships podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for for having me. And you know, now now there's Chris, Chris, and Chris. So it's the C three here. But, That's right. You know, that that ties <laughs> it all back to my naval postgraduate school when it was a joint command control communication. But what it really was is the other options were uh, you know mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. I was like, well, what's that JC three thing? That sounds good. But exactly. uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I it was it was something early on that I got to do. I learned a lot, and then I used those skills and and met people, and that's what it's really about the people. That's so right. thanks for for having us here today and giving me a chance to talk about what we did. And it was 
Chris, uh, it was great to see you and see you also as a panelist uh, participating and, mm. you know, uh, you know, helping us give some summary and watching the national symposium and the events surrounding the Navy and what's going on from where you, where you sit and, and uh, share some of that with us beyond just the podcast. So thanks for that. So let, let's start with uh, that, that turnover uh, that you had with Bill Erickson, uh, all, all of us, and probably many of our listeners have known Bill for years. Um, you got some pretty big shoes to fill. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about the great work that Bill did um, and uh, you know, what you hope to carry forward. And then we'll ask you a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you want to put your own personal stamp on with the job. Yeah, it was, it was great. You know, I was, I was honored to be considered to, uh, you know, asked to apply for the job. Um, I first met Bill when I worked at the Pentagon the first time. So uh, I, we've known each other for 17 years and he was about four or five years into the job then. So he he, he was the director for 23 years. Um, he, he's, you know, you can't really follow his track because he was so involved in all this stuff. Um, you know, and then he he's, it's, it's not a selfish thing. He also saw some of the other sea services. One of the most recent thing we did was kind of combined our efforts with the Coast Guard and the Cutterman's Association and, uh, you know, really done great stuff. You know, when, when, you know, he was getting the hat tips from Admiral Cottle, CNO, VCNO, and then there were so many that were off camera that he's impacted over the years that started as division officers, department heads, moved their way up, and now they're, you know, partners in industry. And, you know, he's, we've, we've been working together on this turnover for about three months. I was kind of shadowing on, on several things. And then uh, we kind of did the culmination, uh, you know, at the, the actual uh, banquet event. And then uh, he's going to be my lifeline for a couple months here still to help me advise me. He was like, yeah, you know, maybe you need to know the history behind things. Cause you can't, you can't cover 23 years and three and a half months for a turnover. Um, you can turn a ship over in five days, but then you got the files and the XOs and department heads, but it's a little different with a, a, a organization of this type, but, uh, you know, he did it with style class left a great, you know, whenever you think of Bill Erickson, you think of involved, you think of integrity. And my goal is to kind of continue those same types of things. And, um, uh, one thing that I bring is, uh, you know, my family and I've got, I've got skin in the game in the form of several of my children serving. So I'm keenly interested in not only having been an alumni of the Navy, uh, but continuing to see us do well, uh, and represent and, you know, really take care of the treasure of our nation. In addition to our nation, the treasure is those that volunteer to serve and, and, you know, put their hand up, whether they're given the privilege of leading others or learning their trade, whether it be, you know, ships, air subsurface special warfare or whatever so but it's i'm super proud to be able to to take the mantle from bill and and continue on for surface navy so one, one of the things we talk about on uh, our podcast is you, you know we we try to break through the fog and the murk uh and you know help bring a lot of these stories um to the larger maritime uh audience i'll even go far and say a, a selfish goal of mine is is to help them kind of coalesce around a, a, a more galvanized voice, um, you, you know, for the betterment of uh, the maritime community. Can you put the Surface Navy Association in a similar context? And like, where do you see the Surface Navy in terms of not only helping the, you know, the gray things and the people that that crew those gray things, but in terms of telling the the larger Surface Navy story in the larger maritime story. I mean, what what does the service Navy need to do to be successful in a pretty crowded um, maritime space? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It really depends on like at what level are you talking SNA involvement. You know, there's there's the camaraderie, the hey, how do I do this kind of thing that's at a ch chapter level, and that's really where our strength is in our chapters. Um, we're, we're we'd really like to specifically uh, include more of our junior folks, you know, for our own longevity and to give a free outlet not only to that division officer who's got to come up with an unwrap plan. It's like, hey, we've been doing unwraps for a while. Talk to your buddies, the first lieutenant on USS next to you on the pier or talk to one of the mentors in the area that had a problem, you know, whether it's personnel or, hey, we got a sudden surprise inspection pre-deployment. So it's that networking stuff that's not only a skill set that you have in the military, in the Navy, in your division, but those those apply and translate into life, you know, whether it's in the business world, in the defense contractor world or whatever. So that's kind of at a chapter and an individual level. Um, in like the, you know, the Washington, D.C. chapter around the greater capital area, you know, we've got our head on a swivel. We're listening to things both from a programmatic sense. You know, what what are our business partners? Um, what What's the budget doing? What's going on in the world events? You know, what's going on over in the Red Sea, the Gulf, out in Westpac, those kind of things. And we hear our inputs that may not make it up through, say, Pentagon channels, but then we can broker a discussion on things or get a speaker to come in or give a a, a a stage, so to speak, for people to talk about those things that people truly want to hear. Is it the elephant in the room, you know, or is it uh, some some small issue that's a simmer that hasn't yet become a boil? And we can give that awareness both in an educational way from the top down from, say, SWOBOS or, you know, Director of Surface Warfare, CNO, VCNO, or percolate it up from the ranks to then have an awareness so they're not snake bit and they can get ahead of it. So those are a couple of examples, Chris, that I think where we continue to serve uh, and give back to the broader community as well as the surface warfare community. Uh, Chris, this is Cavus here on the C3 show. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a big part of SNA is, is you know, obviously it is the community, but the, you, have to, you have to attract people to join the community you have to attract people to thrive within the community and then also keep people in the community. Uh, there's a there's a constant effort everywhere. You've got um, the annual selection night at the Naval Academy is coming up, I think, in a week or two before as we as we record this. Um, that's always a pretty exciting thing. This is when, you know, the graduating seniors um, get to get to pick or what ships they're actually going to go to. So it's a big board. You get a name, you know, US, I'm going to USS Portland. Yay. Um, you know, what do you get? I mean, that's, that's a pretty exciting moment. It's good for that portion of people who have made it through the Academy and now going to the fleet. Of course you get people from all you get other sources, OCS. This, there's a whole enlisted group here that um, probably is underrepresented in SNA. But, you know, it's just as important to the continuity of the surface warfare um, community. Um, can you talk about your involvement in that? I know I know you you, you actually were you, you, you taught at the academy. Um, so I. Yeah. It, and, you know, it, it it's amazing. So, you know, SNA National is three days. Ship selection night is, you know, one night. If we could take the energy that just exudes from those four days you know, put it in a big stock pot and ladle it out at a soup kitchen across the other 361 days, man, we would be, we would be, you know, cooking with gas there. It is a super positive event and it's great to see the draw of people 
you know, we back in the day, it was in like Mahan Hall. Then it was in uh, Memorial Hall. Now it's in Alumni Hall to be able to support the people that come in and get to observe and participate and celebrate with the individuals. Uh, it's changed significantly since when I was a midshipman. You know, they put the oars back away from the arc back then. And, uh, you know, they'd call your number up on the uh, the WRNV. I think it's the Naval Academy old radio station. And you'd walk down and you'd pick something off. There wasn't a lot of hoopla. And maybe there was a, a, a dinner or something afterwards. Now, each community does their own night. They do their own dinner beforehand. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have been invited to participate and represent SNA. Uh, the, a lot of surface warfare leaderships there. Um, I'm meeting with a couple of my son's uh, friends this weekend that are going to be selecting ships to give them some perspective on types of ships, different home ports. So it's really, it's the beginning of their true life. You know, they're graduating. They're going to get a tremendous amount of responsibility and just the energy and enthusiasm in the room is great. And then our, our partners uh, that are there. So we have, you know, several different countries that have members on staff. There's traditions behind that. The first uh, midshipman that picks a ship out of Yakuska. There's a little pause. The senior member uh, from uh, Japan comes in, they present a sword. And each year there's kind of things that go on. I think I wouldn't be surprised if Bill the Goat's the first guy to pick a certain ship that's up in Boston. You know, that kind of happens. And uh, you know, the younger generation, there's a lot of celebration that goes on. I think they do like a walk-up song for people. So there, there's a lot of uh, hoopla that goes along with it, but it's a super positive evening sna is going to be giving each one of the mids that uh, pick a ship uh, a little memento to maybe uh, remember us by and maybe have a, a cold beverage in later on but uh yeah i'm i'm it's very very fun and when you know people it's even better you see moms and dads that have come in from out of town to experience it as well so a really positive night if you haven't been chris you should go Chris, let me just add one thing for the audience. And and I, I think uh, Chris Bushnell did a great job of explaining it. But I mean, for those that don't maybe didn't get the the specifics of like what building it's held in, it literally went from like being held in a classroom where you just kind of write your name on a piece of paper to an NFL draft like environment in in the arena where the Naval Academy plays their basketball games. Right. I mean, it very much you were, Chris, and you, you kind of saw yourself a little short. Uh, you as the chairman of the seamanship and navigation, and when when Admiral Curtis was the SWO boss, you guys turned this into an NFL draft like event that now has continued to uh, to grow with COs from around the fleet and or XOs that show up when it's possible. I mean, what an event um, to to be a part of. And I'm not even a SWO and wasn't a SWO, but it it is a cool environment. Yeah, you knew you really got it right when <clears throat> they kind of it used to be. Uh ship selection night and everybody found out all at the same time. Now it's service selection and service assignment. There's board processes where, you know, uh, a lot of people are vying for the different things. You know, the Navy's got a lot of priorities. Um, the Marine Corps is there, our aviation and, and submarine folks. And now we have direct accession into many different other communities that say 20 years weren't that way. IW, uh, numbers of doctors have increased all kinds of other stuff, but, Everybody from all those communities comes. So the SWO, this SWOs are kind of king of the hill on this night. And it's so super positive and it's a very unique thing, you know, and like before it was like, oh yeah, the aviators are walking around their flight suits. They're like, no, we're going to go watch the ship selection night. So we, you know, it's, it's good. And, and, you know, it's a night to say, yeah, man, I got this ship, not, oh, I'm going to be a SWO. Cause you get the earliest opportunity to go out and lead, to really solve problems 
you know, you're out driving, you know, and, and exploring parts of the world, you know, so I've, I've been lucky enough to get to go to 63 countries uh, throughout the world and have tremendous experiences. And not everybody gets that when they're, they aren't out on ships. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, I, I've listened to y'all talk and, and uh, what you're talking about now has been going on for, for, for a few years, but I'm always reminded that uh, it's, it's been a little over couple of decades ago the, right at the beginning of the century uh, long ago I used to used to actually work for Navy Times and we wanted very much to go cover selection nights and um, you know because of the excitement because people were excited about it and um, the Academy was absolutely adamant at refusing any coverage whatsoever and I mean they were they were like adamant about it we, we would have arguments like why not what's the problem here and uh, their point was, oh no, you're intruding on their on their privacy, and it's very personal, and nobody wants you there anyway. And to have this flip, you know, to like you got to come, it's really great, it's a big deal, everybody's excited, everybody, you know, this is an absolute total 180, and everybody now is embracing as dogma, really, um, what we were advocating for more than 20 years ago, and getting the door slammed in our face. I mean, like slammed um so you know i'm i'm sort of also thinking of maybe in terms of messaging and getting getting the word out flipping forward to today uh one of the you know we just came out of sna the symposium uh people were in a great mood that was the most positive sna i've seen in many years um people were just simply almost ebullient um i think part of it is the is the the finally the all the leadership blockages at the top of the Navy have, are finally clearing out now. And people, including the SWO boss, are, you know, the right people are where they're supposed to be. The Academy, too, for that matter. Um, and all kinds of places. Um, but also because the surface warfare community is performing well. And they're not, you know, the black eye that, that, that came over the surface warfare community a few years ago with destroyer collisions and multiple sailors being killed by these collisions um this was not good and uh you know the other communities looked down their nose at the at, at surface uh particularly the submarine community and um now at the moment um you know service warfare is actually doing pretty well but you know chris you were you the chairman of the department of seamanship and navigation right the the cnav at the academy how to drive boats and the Navy has had a major emphasis on on how to drive boats uh, in the last few years in in the aftermath of these collisions. Um, it's a big thing now. It's codified. Uh, it's it, it continues in their in their training. But you've seen a real evolution here yourself, and, and you've been on many bridges and so, so, so many watches. You know exactly what what how to do this. Um, but now you know your destroyers. You you commanded Paul Hamilton DDG sixty. Um, those exact ships are performing very well now in the Red Sea. And I, we know a lot of people in the Navy who want to talk about this and want to talk more about it. And it's pretty hard to get a lot of details, pretty hard indeed. My colleague, uh, Mr. Savello, riffed on this a week ago. Um, and I just wonder how, how do you feel about that? Uh, we know a lot of, I know a lot of people in the Navy who are dying to talk out loud about what's going on and, and how well people are performing, but it's not happening. The lid is on. What do you, how do you, how do you react to that? 
So I guess if this was a, a visual, number one, it's not a visual arena, and that's because I have a face for radio, so that's why I'm here. But uh, uh, I appreciate the question. I'm answering this as as Chris Bushnell. I'm not a Navy policy guy, but I know I know that uh, I I do appreciate your comments. I was glad to see that it wasn't all brand new DDGs. I was a older whole number sixty. There were some older whole whole, whole number DDGs out there that are doing tremendous things. They have great leaders that are very focused. And there's so many things that have really come home that we started working on a, a number of years ago. So our our warfare tactics instructors, witties that are out there standing up, you know, uh, Smitic, our uh, warfare, you know, top gun for SWOs, so to speak, for those that don't understand all the acronyms out there. And, you know, theory to practice, eight, nine, 10 years uh, ago, we started this and those young tacticians are having an impact. I mean, look at the effectiveness that those of us that do have awareness um, are having. You know, there's just short news bleed or uh, alerts that are coming out from NavSent to talk about, you know, engagements with Houthis and shooting down drones and missiles, that type of thing. Um, personally, I'm, I'm frustrated that not as much uh, is being put out. Uh, why? It's part of a broader, you know, uh, statement you know chris cervello was talking about you know his former mentor boss kirby who's a retired navy chinfo who's part of the uh, national security council there is some method to the madness somewhere i don't understand it um because you know the other thing the navy's getting poked about is you know our retention numbers but you know people want to be part of winning teams um when we're kind of not able to talk about it when we don't have uh, not following other models that have worked well in other large engagements. This is not nearly as big as Desert Shield, Desert Storm, where we embedded press, where they were able to do things. There were rule sets that the press abided by, so we weren't giving away means, methods, and putting our troops in danger. But, you know, the surface warfare community, our partners in industry are building tremendous products. And I think, like you talked about, uh, Chris Cavus, the 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 feeling of the week of SNA was so positive because we were getting like sports center updates from the CNO, the VCNO, the Secretary of the Navy, Vice Admiral Black, SWO boss, you know, Fifth Fleet Nav Sent Commander coming in. And I mean, for me to sit in the front row after escorting in to see the emotion, the passion, the pride, the joy in the eye of the Secretary of the Navy and all the leaders and just that vibe that was there on the floor from our our ships and our sailors just kicking butt out there and doing stuff and just representing our country and the ideals of our country was just, you know, it's like the visa commercial, it's priceless, you know, so, but not everybody's able to see that. And I think we could do so much more. And on the same point, you know, the economic impact, what, what is, you know, the, the movement of, of commerce, dipping around another whole continent instead of going the traditional ways that has impacts on our economy. So we care from uh, our wallet perspective and then uh, just, you know, doing the stuff that the age old mission of the Navy, maintaining, maintaining sea lines of communication and maritime commerce, both the stuff that's floating, the trons that are pushing below those, uh, those cables and some of the stuff that I previously did when I worked for Facebook, like you touched on. So, yeah, I, I think we're missing out. Um, and I wish more people could find out because, you know, the, the taxpayers are getting what they're paying for. Um, the, the sons 
daughters are representing their mothers, their families very well in the way they're performing. And I think that the others would want to join and be part of that team. And uh, we could solve some of these, you know, uh, retention shortcomings by helping get that message out, you know, and it doesn't take us three and a half years to get Top Gun 2 to come out, you know, it's happening <laughs> right now. So we roll that tape. So sorry for the long answer, but I feel pretty strongly about that. No, I think it, I, I think it's a great answer, and uh, I, I think you know between you and Chris, you, you hit on a lot of uh, key key points. I, I want to finish up. This will be my last question, as we're you know sort of uh, butting up against time. But you mentioned that you have uh, some skin in the game with um, you, you know family members that are a part of uh, the Navy. You uh, obviously was, as I mentioned, were commanding officer, so you dealt with young men and women. Um, can you? Talk a little bit about the young men and women that are part of the surface force today. Um, when I talk to um, a number of retired folks, and particularly Vice Admiral Tom Roden, uh, who I got to see at SNA, that was the first thing he went to was talking about the young men and women that are witties. You, you mentioned it, but I mean, just the, you know, he said, hey, look, I always felt like we had high quality folks in the surface force, but taking those high quality folks and giving them that weapons tactic instructor experience, the top gun for SWOs, he really felt like that was the difference maker and what we're hearing and seeing uh, in the Gulf of Aden in the Red Sea. I wanted to give you an opportunity just to talk about that young talent uh, before we go. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> there is a real thirst to learn, contribute, do better. And then a questioning mindset of how can we take good and make it great? So, you know, when you look at the, you know, without getting into a bunch of detail, but the the tactics or the the manuals that we use to teach people, those things had been on the shelf and were pretty old for a while um, before uh, we, we stood up this witty program. And now we've got, you know, the age went from like 17 and a half year average for a doctrine to like two. And that's because we've got all these hungry, young, talented, smart people that have learned and now they're applying that knowledge to take what we do to make it even better more effective come up with different means not just following the standard you know take two pills and call me in the morning or like hey we you know we have another way we can get after this problem and then chris to talk to your other thing about you know the unfortunate incident of you know of destroyers colliding and what went on i literally just visited yesterday our mariner skills training course uh atlantic um, that's down in Norfolk. And we have really changed a bunch of stuff. We are giving these young division officers amazing skills, certifications, and they're coming to those ships to be able to stand a watch much better than I was able to when we had, you know, we were trying to get towards the 600 ship when I, Navy, when I started, but, you know, they're using cutting edge, highest end available training facilities in five or five different levels. They can do it individually. They can do it as teams. And in the future, I could see us where we're doing kind of you know, mock-ups of like a strike group going out and doing some scenario things beforehand. You know, you know, the aviators say you earn, you have to earn the right to fly before we're going to strap, you know, a, you know, $150 million plane to your backside and let you go fly it. Well, we're doing those things with ships at, a very high level of, of fidelity and giving them the reps and sets so that when they go do get underway, it's that much more impactful for them. And, you know, they're better prepared instead of just getting thrown to the wolves. And, and it's great to see them and to see, you know, them stand up taller, prouder and having that shiny look in their eye of being excited about getting after it. That's what really makes me excited about, you know, the fruits of our labors coming to 
come into fruition now. No, I, I actually, uh, last year I was, I visited the new um, Mariner Skills uh, Center in San Diego, uh, which was the first one stood up. So it, it is very impressive. Uh, there's a, there is a lot happening and it's, it, 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 it's, it's really good to see. Um, well, if folks, I could get I think, one last thing. So we're going to sure. name the, the building down in, uh, in Norfolk after a, a, a legend in uh, surface warfare. So Captain right. Paul Wren. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're doing that. That's yep. Good yep. Okay. Yep. Well, that's a, that's an excellent choice. He was a great guy. He really was. Um, and a great SWO. He loved the SWO and he let, he loved the community. Um, folks, that'll do it with us. Our, do, <laughs> folks, that'll do it for today. Our guest has been Chris Bushnell. He is the new executive director of the Surface Navy Association. Chris, thanks for being on the podcast. We hope to have you again on soon and have a great day. Hey, thanks very much, and uh, look forward to doing this again in a time not too far in the future. Well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. The Cavaships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII welcomes home the USS Gerald R. Ford CVN-78 from a highly successful extended maiden deployment in defense of our nation's security. HII is proud to design, build, and support the Gerald R. Ford-class aircraft carriers at Newport News Shipbuilding. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavish. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>